And I think that happens a lot in life, especially now, it seems that people have an emotional response before they have a logical one. And yeah. once that's happened, it is extremely difficult to go back and then have a logical response. Mm. Welcome to Sauce Talk, a podcast about sports and mental life and living well in general. This is Billy Hansen, and today's episode is going to be an interview with my good friend Forrest Kohler. Now, this podcast with Forrest could have gone in many different directions. Forrest might have been the best water polo player in all of Oregon in high school, and he led my high school team to multiple state championships in water polo. He's also a triathlete and a terrific swimmer and uh, bicyclist and runner, and so he's just very athletically gifted. And so we could have talked about any of that, but what we focused on here today is his adventures in professional and high-stakes poker. Forrest studied science in college and was planning on taking a more traditional academic career path, but he started having great success in online and tournament poker. And he continued to pursue that passion, and he ended up, he's very modest on the podcast here, but he made enough money to fund uh, different kinds of travels for the last few years. So it seems like whenever I check in on Forrest, he's in some new exotic country, or he's spent the last 30 days locked away playing high-stakes poker. (laughs) So in this episode, we dive into all of the lessons and the adventures and misadventures that have come from this non-traditional path that he's carved out for himself in poker funding um, the adventures that he's been on in the last few years. I love this conversation. We talk here about the differences between process and results-oriented mindsets in both poker and in life and how training in poker forces you to be process-oriented. And if you're you're too results-oriented, you'll get burned for it over and over again. We talk about the unique beauty of the game of poker and how it's this just great blend of skill and chance. We talk about how to avoid going on tilt and what the tilt mindset is like and how he tries to avoid letting this kind of mindset color his decision making. We talk about being fooled by variance and how training in poker makes players more statistically minded, which improves logic and decision making. And I relate a lot of this to basketball and other sports in a way that I think turned out pretty cool. We talk about meditation in relationship to poker and how he's trying to blend mindfulness and meditation into his poker game. We talk about the balance between emotions and rationality, mistakes that amateur poker players often make, and some tips that he gives me on my own game. And then we talk about the pros and cons of taking a more alternative and risky lifestyle and the kinds of things that he's experienced the last few years. Uh, depending on poker for his income primarily. As always, if you like the podcast, you should con- you should consider subscribing to my newsletter, which you can find on my website, which is billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. And there I'll be sending out new podcasts, new blog posts, and other updates on my work. You can also help me out by leaving a review wherever you're listening to this and by sharing it with those who you think might like it. So without further delay, here is Forrest Kohler. I'm here with Forrest Kohler. Forrest, thank you for doing the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, Bill. I'm very excited. 
Yeah, so let's start with your background in poker. We could, eventually I want to talk about a lot of things with you on the podcast, but I think we'll keep this episode to poker and how it relates to decision making and how the game of poker and decision making relate to life at large. So we'll start with your background as a poker player. I, um, as you know, I started playing poker when we were probably in middle school. Um, it was the first yeah. time we started playing just $5 home games. Um, and then once I got to college, I started playing a little bit more seriously. I found a group that I would play with anywhere between five and seven days a week. Um, we'd play a few hours, just small, 25 cent, 50 cent. Um, but that's where I really started to learn the game at a higher level, I think. Um, and then post-college, now um, I play pretty recreationally, um, but there are definitely times where I'll put in a good month of playing um, pretty, yeah. pretty regularly. So. Yeah, and you've had some success in bigger tournaments, and so just so the listeners can have an idea, when you are on a streak of playing a lot, what does your schedule look like? Um, so yes, I have. Uh, I, I do prefer big field um, MTTs, multi-table tournaments. Um, so when I'm playing a full schedule, I'll usually wake up, start playing around eight or nine, and if the day is going well, then <laughs> it doesn't end until. 8 or 9 at night, if not later, um, if it's a big enough tournament and we're running deep enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually pretty day in and day out. Um, mm-hmm. I think a few months ago I logged about 100,000 hands in the month, which wow. um, is playing probably an average of 6 to 8 hours every day that month. Wow, that's amazing. And... So yeah, I want to dive into all of this, just how the game of poker, which I'm interested in, and I truly am an amateur, um, and I know you know a lot more about it than I do, but I know enough to hopefully ask some questions that, and I think I'm going to weave the, the topics that we talk about in and out of other sports that I'm more familiar with, because I think the decision making and some of the mental processes apply to both sports and life at large. So I guess we can start with... Um, being poker as it teaches you or the lessons that poker can teach in terms of process versus results oriented attitude towards what you're doing i guess the best example for i have of this in my lowly kind of house games is when someone and this used to be me luckily i've i've outgrown this habit but let's say someone has 3 8 offsuit in their pocket playing texas holdem and they fold it as they should and then like three three eight comes up or three eight comes up and then they're like oh like you know I, I had two pair I shouldn't have folded, and so that just exposes the kind of thinking that many of us fall into of, you know, it's a results oriented thing. I should have kept my cards because these other cards came up, when in reality that was statistically obviously the right play to fold those cards and you shouldn't worry about when it randomly comes up like that. So what, what do you think you've learned from poker? as your poker game has progressed in terms of being more process-oriented versus results-based oriented? Um, I, I do think poker is a great tool for teaching you that. And after I left college and I started playing online more, I started using what's called a HUD, which is a heads-up display. And it keeps track of your stats, um, of how many hands you raise pre-flop, how many hands you're playing pre-flop. 
Um, and that, that inflammation really helped me go back and analyze my own game yeah. to where you, you realize that folding something like 8-3 offsuit is just the most winning play you can do there. Yeah. Um, yes, sometimes you'll flop the full house. Any hand could technically flop a full house, could flop a straight, most of them. But that yeah. doesn't mean it's worth playing. Yeah. Um, and getting to use that software post playing and like having sessions where all I do is review hands that I played really helped to clarify that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing about poker is like, yeah, in any, it's this kind of cool mix of skill and chance in that, um, you know, you play enough games, like if you play enough house parties with the same groups over and over, the best poker players are going to win more often than the worst ones. But on any given game, there's enough variance within the within the game that you could lose to a player that's not as good as you. Do um, you want to pick up on anything in that there? Uh, I mean, I think what you're describing is the beauty of poker right there. Um, it is a game of incomplete information, but it is a game that there is still a skill edge to be had. Yeah. So it's kind of a mix between something like chess, which is a complete information game. Well, the best player is probably going to win every time if, yeah. they're, if they are that much better than the, their opponent. Right. While a game like Go Fish or Blackjack or 21, you know, it's almost all variants. There isn't right. really a skill edge to be had. Um, poker, you can have the worst hand and still win. Mm-hmm. you can have the best hand and somebody can bluff you and you can still lo- lose. Right. And that right there is a skill aspect. Right. Um, so it's different than a lot of casino games that I think it gets thrown in with. I, I, yeah. I think it's closer to a game like chess. Right. But that variance aspect leads to these situations where those hindsight bias, where you win the pot, but you might have made an awful play. Right. Made a very losing decision. Right. Um, and that that's something that applies to all aspects of our life. So what kind of things do you do at the poker table um, to try to ensure that you are making statistically sound bets and winning bets and not being too caught up in the emotion of what's actually taking place in the hand itself? I, I think that until I started using a HUD, it, that was very difficult. It mm-hmm. was difficult to see. The, the HUD, what's another good aspect of it, is say I get all my money in and I'm an 80% favorite. That's all it cares about. The HUD yeah. does not care what the results were if I didn't make a decision. Yeah. So it'll show me a stat where if I were to bet 100 big blinds, I might be winning 80 there in the long run, even though in that exact hand, I lost the hand, so I got zero. Mm. But it's able to tell me you made a good decision here. Yeah. A- and that post-analysis and that being able to reflect on your play, I think is what allows people to see when they are and aren't making these mistakes. Yeah. It's easy to hit your flush and say, oh, that was obviously the correct decision. <laughs> right. When maybe you were not getting the correct odds. Maybe you yeah. were only getting two to one and really you need four to one to make that call profitably in the long run. Um, right. A HUD will point that out more obviously. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard for humans to take in that data and then look at it in hindsight without 
right. being resulting oriented. Yeah, so I wonder how, because that I've never played with a HUD, and I'm sure it would expose all kinds of horrors in my own game. <laughs> but, <laughs> it definitely did for me, for sure, and I still have leaks that I'm patching with it, for sure. Yeah, but um, if, yeah, I wonder how that could, that, knowing that we are all blind to many of our own biases and confirmation bias, and I come back to a basketball example, I, there, when I was a graduate assistant, I started to notice this when I was outside of the sport as a player, like one time we lost a game on this insane buzzer beater bank shot from like half court and we lost by one and it was on the road against a good team and we came into the locker room or like for our pregame the next day and everyone was so dejected they were so upset that we had lost um and it's strange to me just like the delta between our attitude in the locker room the next day just based on you know that last shot didn't fall in the whole locker room would have been jubilant the next day and happy when in reality we played if you were really being rational about it your attitude would reflect how well you played not whether or not you won or whether or not the last shot went in because that's stuff you don't really have control over um and so i wonder how in life you know because you do that in any kind of thing whether a job interview whether or not you got the job maybe you had a great interview but it just, and you put yourself in a great position to get it, but you know, somebody's niece got the job or, or nephew, right? It's something um, you can't control. For yeah. Sure. Or you walk into a party with a bright orange shirt and the girl, you get it, you, you like meet the girl you want to meet and you think, oh, it's the shirts, it's the result of the shirt. <laughs> and so we can draw all these like weird conclusions based on the stuff that we're doing. Um, so have you been able to apply that principle to other areas of your life? Um, do you take anything from the poker table off of it when, when you're pursuing other goals um i definitely i don't know if i consciously do but w one thing that i've learned a lot at the poker table is to ask myself why mm -hmm. why am i doing what i'm doing um when it comes to poker i ask myself why am i raising here why am i calling here mm. um and i justify it before i do it um, and I right. think that has really helped me to become less results oriented because mm. then say I've come to my conclusion that this is the spot I should raise um, and the worst possible turn card or river comes up and it brings in the flush and brings in the straight. If I've justified to myself already that this is the correct thing to do given the action that's already happened, yeah. it's easier to not look at the result as this is what's always going to happen and this is what I should always do. Yeah, um, yeah. Because that can cloud so much of what we're doing. It can. Um, yeah. I think that basketball example is perfect to where that last shot, it's like 99% of the game was played before yeah. that. You know, that, that, that decided who won in the moment, but so much led up to that. That yeah. mattered. I mean, had yeah. somebody else not made a three or some yeah. layup, then the game would have never gotten to that point yeah so let's talk about going on tilt um can you describe what tilt is um yeah uh it oftentimes it tilt is when you allow your emotions from a previous hand or previous experience to affect your decision making process later on in a way that is not beneficial yeah um so after losing a basketball game on a buzzle beater coming into the game, the next game being dejected. Yeah. That, that's never gonna help you win the next game. And there's no real logical reason why you, 
it should affect you. Yeah. Um, and in poker, that plays it has a massive effect. If you get sucked out on, and that's all you're thinking about, and you're not playing the hand that you've been dealt now, and you're not asking yourself why am I doing what I'm doing now, instead you're thinking about what happened. You will make worse decisions. Yeah. Um, and a lot of money is lost in poker when somebody is on tilt. Yeah, yeah. And I've obviously noticed that in myself, in my own game. It's just so hard. It's such a hard thing to come out of. It's like, well, there's first the impulse that's like, you know, you're enjoying whatever status quo stack you have. So I've got, you know, decent stack. The game's going well. And then you lose a big pot. And then the impulse is, I've got to make this back. So now, you know, I've got to like, you know, I've got to make this back. And then further compounding that, you can get into individual kind of ego battles with people at the table where this, like, this fucker's not better than me. And so then the next time you play, you want to, you know, take the money back. Or I've even been in times where I just, I don't want to show, I want to show that I'm not afraid. So I'll make dumb bets just because I don't want to fold and, you know, hand the guy the chips or the guy or girl the chips. And so that can be really distorting for your kind of rationality and actually making sound decisions. And again, relating it to, to another sport, it's like, I mean, this happens quite often in, in basketball where you'll be struggling on the court. And, you know, intellectually, I, I used to know like, yeah, there are going to be stretches throughout the season if I'm, a, you say, a 45% shooter. Statistically, there's going to be, I'm going to miss five shots in a row many times this year right um and that shouldn't mean that uh, my whole mental game collapses on itself right it's just part of the variance um but it's so hard not to think that way right and then the same thing is true i mean we will both listen to that podcast recently with what's her name maria kornikova yep maria kornikova so she's a author and professional poker player she talked about how tilt is also on the 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 positive end too where you can be winning many hands whether or not you earned them or not and then feel kind of invincible and this definitely i related that definitely in the basketball court because there's studies that show that players who make three or four shots in a row they have a tendency to take worse shots the next time because they're confident or they're hot and that leads them into taking an ill-advised shot which then drops their percentage on subsequent shots right so when you're playing poker and you're trying to avoid, well, first, what is it like when you first notice yourself starting to feel that tilt in your, in your mind? Um, is it something that you've gotten better at over time to notice without chasing or how do you relate to that attitude in your mind? Uh, I've definitely gotten better at noticing it. Um, and I, I think I've gotten better at, stopping it once it starts mm-hmm. um you i i notice it most after i usually take a bad beat and say i'm playing six tables at once and i take a bad beat on one table and it's the that mindset that i go, go into of often I, I need to win these chips back or something like that shows itself on other tables that i'm playing Mm. Um, and when you're playing online and all you have to do is click a button to raise, it becomes very easy <laughs> yeah. to, to become hyper-aggressive um, in spots that you just shouldn't. Yeah. Um, I, th- I had a really interesting class in college that was a, a statistics class, 
that the first day of class, the teacher had two kids come up to the board, and one of them was told to flip a coin a hundred times and write down T-O-H if it was heads or tails. And the guy next to him was told to make up a pattern of heads and tails and write mm. down a, a hundred T's and H's. And mm. the teacher said, I will come in here and I will tell you which one's which. <laughs> and he, he, so the teacher leaves the room. They both, the one kid flips the coins and the other, the other kid writes the T's and H's. And the teacher comes in and without hesitation, he points to the, to the one that was the coin flip. Mm. And you look at the thing and you can't tell off first glance that there are any difference. I mean, it's just rows of T's and H's. But the guy who was not flipping the coin didn't put any streaks of six or higher, mm. of six heads or six tails in a row. Mm. Well, out of 100 coin flips, if I remember correctly, I think once there should be a row of eight mm. in a row, and once, this kind of goes back to your, if you're 45% free throw shooter, you should, or, or three so point shooter, yeah. Yeah, you, you should miss eight in a row out of 100 Every, every now and then. Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard for people to do that. When you're writing the T's and H's without flipping a coin, it's hard mm. to write T more than five, six times in a row. Cause it's, because it, it, feels, it doesn't, it yeah, feels it feels like there's just yeah. no way this would happen. Right. But statistically, it should happen once. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think after I took that class, and that really stuck with me. That like, because yeah. in poker, a lot of tournaments end in coin flips. Yeah. It ends, I have queens, you have ace-king, we got it all in pre-flop, I'm a 46%, you're 54%. It's yeah. practically a coin flip. Right. Um, and you will go through streaks of just losing those over and over and over again, and that can be very tilting. Yeah. That can put you in a spot where you don't want to enter these coin flips anymore, when in reality you're coin flipping, but there is dead money in the pot because everyone put in antes, everyone put in blinds, so we'll, we have a 50-50, but I'm winning more than two to one interesting so yeah so, you, so it's you, yeah. it is a profitable thing to opt into and something you should opt into but sometimes when you're tilting and you felt like you i can't win i've lost all these flips you might not you might not yeah. three bet eight your queens or your ace king you might just call when in reality that is a mistake right right yeah and that's something where poker specifically can be such a good tool to train in that way because yes you can keeping all of that in your mind at once is an exercise that can translate to other things because yeah I love what you said there about even though it's a coin flip you got to the last two and you're playing with everyone else's money on the table so you want to be in that coin flip over and over again even though sometimes you're going to get hit three or four times in a row and I'm sure someone like you who plays a ton of poker you could be playing very well and getting bounced out of tournaments early right yeah um, definitely um, yeah and so so you when you're playing online, I'm sure you are statistically ahead of most of the players you're playing with. So you have, if you play correctly over time, you'll make money, right? Yes. Um, so I guess the part, goal, that's, that's the, the goal. The goal, <laughs> the goal is to be statistically better than the field so that if you play well over time, you'll make money. So is that go come into consideration when you're talking about how many hands to play? Is that why you do those giant spurts? Because you know that, if you play enough hands, if you play enough poker over a, a burst and you get into a rhythm that you're mathematically likely to make money? Is that kind of the rationale? Uh, yes. Okay. The only way to beat variance is with volume. And yeah. that's true for all 
things. Well, you can. That's kind of the business model of the casino, right? Yes, um, that's exactly. Yeah. yeah, because and this is you know a public service announcement to anyone who, who gambles for fun. Gambling for fun's great, but I've spoken to people who think, oh no, if you just play roulette smart, like you can make money. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah. I mean, that's the whole, like what you're saying about a hundred coin flips. I mean, this is something that is so important to keep in mind. If you flip a coin ten times, it's not that unheard of to have eight heads and two tails. But if you flip a coin 10,000 times, you are absolutely not going to have 8,000 heads and 2,000 tails. Exactly. And so the casino has, what, a 40, you know, a 54% chance of of beating you on in roulette. Um, Oh, you bet on red or black or whatever. And so if you play for an hour, you might be up or down by a lot. But if you play for... 10 years and you're an addict, you're a gambling addict, you you're lose. just going to hand 6% of your money over like yes. over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's something that's very interesting and something that can relate. I know many of my listeners are basketball fans and I actually recently had coach Daniels on the podcast who's into advanced analytics and he talked about how you want to play your game right side up. If you are, if on this move you average 1.1 points per shot, you want to go to that move a lot more than the move that you average 0.8 points per shot, even if, you know, and, and that gets muddied in your mind with the three-pointer because you'll often make more two-pointers, pull up twos, but even though you miss the three-pointer more often, it's worth an extra point. So it's actually better to shoot a lower percentage and more three-pointers, which is why you see so many of the NBA teams jacking, you know, 43s a night up now. It's because they understand the math and, like, you know, fans get pissed. It's like, why are they jacking up so many threes? Like, they should go inside. It's like, <laughs> no, you know, changed. yeah, it's... if you look at the math, actually, you know, you're better off taking more threes than pull-up twos. You know, dunks are better than threes, but threes are certainly better than pull-up twos. So that was my statistics rant. Um, so you're interested and you've practiced some meditation, right? It seems pretty straightforward to me that the skill of mindfulness could relate to your attitude on the poker table in situations where you feel yourself going on tilt. Do you think I'm right about that? Uh, yes. Um, I think that if there's one thing that I will do the next time I really put in a massive amount of volume, it is incorporate meditation into that daily grind of poker. Mm. Um, when I'm playing tournaments for the day, Every at the top of the hour, the 55, they all go on break, and you have a five-minute break. So, so when I'm playing a 12-hour session, I get five minutes every hour, and that's it. Yeah. The the other 55 minutes needs to be locked in, making the best decisions possible. Um, and I have found that how I use that five minutes really affects how my next 55 minutes goes. Mm. Um, if I'm, you know, I'm playing on my phone, trying to text people and stuff. It's yeah. not going to be as useful as if I'm getting water, making sure I have everything, I'm set up, and even doing a little mindfulness meditation within those five minutes, mm. really focusing and making sure that my mind isn't wandering too much yeah. um, and not places where it shouldn't be or needs to be at this time. Yeah, that's fascinating um, and something that I am trying to implement in my own life too and it's, I think it's especially difficult for me in situations unlike poker or competition when there's actually no external pressure. Like if I'm just writing or coding, it can be so easy to just 
blow a 20 minute break on your phone or watching the YouTube algorithms. But I noticed that if I take my breaks mindfully, if I go for a little walk or if I meditate at lunch or if I, you know, just do something in silence where I'm recentering. Stepping I, outside yeah. is big for me too. Using that five minutes to go outside yeah. and not be indoors. Get um, a little sun. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed helps me a ton. Yeah. And so I can imagine that that in the midst of playing poker could really help but also just the like having a a formal sustained meditation practice in your life which is something that over time develops the skill of that kind of meta awareness metacognition where you're becoming kind of the watcher of yourself which sounds like that's a lot of what poker can be is noticing your impulses to get in a fight with somebody at the table or noticing where you're trying to work on being more aggressive in these situations yeah um because usually you aren't aggressive enough um or vice versa usually you have more too much confidence in you know pocket queens or whatever it is um that skill of meta awareness and emotional um balance i'm sure could play pay huge dividends at the poker table um do you know if any of the real big time poker players have any of those hacks whether it's nootropics or meditation or diet practices exercise any of that um i've definitely heard of some of the higher stakes players um using things like adderall and yeah. using yeah. um nootropics and things and there are, are a few that i know that do have a daily practice of meditation mm. um that they're very big on mindfulness and being able to return to that balanced state um even mid mid game yeah um not letting previous hands affect future decisions Um, yeah yeah so is there an example of when you was there an example that comes to mind of when you kind of lost some mental balance that you can think of in your in your poker game uh yes uh even as uh recently as this weekend um i was running deep in a pretty big field MTT, so it had about 3,000 people in it. Mm. Um, we were down to 24, um, 60K up top, so big big first place prize, and I was in fourth. Um, there was uh, somebody streaming uh, on Twitch at my table, which was kind of cool, so I could, uh, they always stream on a delay, so you get to see what they were playing. Mm. Um, that person opened a smaller stack maybe who was in like 12th jammed all in and i woke up with ace king in the big blind woke up means uh that i i had ace king in my pocket um which is like a pretty pretty strong holding for sure definitely a premium hand uh so i went all in over the top of the other person's all in and they flipped over ace queen Mm. so i'm about an 80 percent favorite for what would have been the chip lead in the tournament Mm. flop comes out like seven eight two great flop turn queen oh god level seven and i lose and then you're looking for the revolver in your drawer oh i'm (laughs) instantly furiated um and i drop into seventh and three hands later i'm now i now have 13 big blinds the the person who had just sucked out on me with ace queen uh shoves all in on me blind v blind so it's just he's the small blind i'm the big blind it's folded all the way to him he shoves all in and i call with ace queen off and he shows four deuce suited 
Wait, so this is the same guy? That, same guy. Um, yeah. So his play's a little out of line um, with the faux deuce, and I know that all he's really trying to do is uh, apply what's called ICM pressure to me um, in that the pay jumps are about to get big, and it's beneficial for me to fold a lot of hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had a hand that was strong enough to call with, so I call. I'm a pretty big flavor. Sorry, favorite. sorry, sorry to pause you there, but can I? I'm confused about. So he, so you just lost that big pot. Yes. Now so I had him covered. So I had more chips than him before I lost it. So I doubled. One. Yeah, the first so one. So he I doubled up, but he's still pretty small. So now, no, now he's like where I was in first, and I'm where he was in like 17th. Okay, but and so now. What kind of pressure is he applying on you there? So the, in um, tournaments, there's a, it's called ICM, independent chip model. Mm-hmm. And it's where your chips are actually worth more than they used to be. At the very beginning of the tournament, your chips aren't worth that much. Mm-hmm. Um, once you, This is all based on how payout structures are in tournaments. That okay. first place is just way more money than if you order what's called min cash, which is usually, usually the top 15% of the field. Okay. Usually it'll double your money. So okay. in this case, the buy-in was $109. The min cash is like 208 mm-hmm. And I think at that point, we already had $800 locked up. Okay. But those 60000 up top. Right. And, and that's where that ICM comes in. It's, it's now winning the tournament and getting to those big old pay jumps makes it so that my tournament life now is worth more so you're playing for a teacher salary here (laughs) yeah Um, also something that's big in poker is you have these big wins but there's a lot of losses that come without people usually seeing so i've had big 5k scores in my life um, that when i say them a lot of times people will be like oh so you've won a lot of money yeah and they don't realize that in poker there's a lot of losing that goes on in the the middle in the middle Um, (laughs) so yeah we're playing for a teacher salary though and um so i lose that hand and he's applying this icm pressure on me well that i assume that's what he's trying to do with four deuce because that's normally just a fold um but he he's thinking that i'm going to fold more hands than normal because of this okay um so he okay 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 so he's opened his range up probably too much yeah but what he's doing in theory is what he should be doing he should be finding a lot of hands to apply pressure to me as the short stack and him as the big stack okay so i flop the flop comes out and the flop is like six jack five oh six jack ten mm-hmm. um to where i now have an oval pair to his two undercards so i'm like a 95 percent favored here to double up yeah and the run out comes out five three Mm. which gives him a straight mm. and knocks me out of the tournament. <laughs> so I bust that tournament, um, and I'm still playing two more tournaments at that same time. But the moment I busted that one, you might as well have removed me from the other two. <laughs> my, my, seriously, my decision-making from that point on was horrendous. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't last more than 20 minutes in the other two tournaments wow. before I got it in bad in one spot, and one spot was a flip, so I probably couldn't have avoided it. But the other yeah. one was purely just me not thinking in the moment. I was not thinking, like, what am I doing? I just got into a hand, started yeah. clicking buttons. Were you distracted by yeah, trying, I mean, trying to find the identity <laughs> of this guy who knocked you out? It's like send, send him like a mail bomb or something? Borderline <laughs> snapped my laptop in half, so it was, it was almost at that point. Um, so, I mean, it definitely still happens to me 
not frequently, but in, in spots like that, well, in reality, in hindsight, I wish I had just taken my beat, sat down, and played my two other tournaments. Right. And, I mean, and made the most out of them. Sure, right. they were smaller buy-in tournaments, and yeah. it, it compounded because I was my biggest buy-in tournament for the day. I was running deep, and it, it I mean, it just set me off. Right. I mean, no good decisions were going to be made from that point on. Yeah, and this is just coming to mind now. I mean, people who aren't even on the poker table or in sports, it's like some days you just get like, you get the flat tire, you that was you get like a ride, you know. Then you get a huge long line at at the at the car repair. The day before, the DMV was closed. Now you're you know pull a hamstring at the gym. You just didn't get a promotion at work. Like statistically, you're there's gonna be times every year where like whole world seems like it's collapsing and so that mental skill set which comes through you know practice probably putting yourself in those situations doing things like poker also meditation's huge can be the difference between once you have that like five or six bad streak in a row in life or whatever you're doing to not then come home and like you know open the door start throwing shit at the wall and like piss off your girlfriend or something yeah compound your own smash the fridge and like fuck (laughs) you're adding fuel to the fire at that point yeah um when in reality you need to be the doing the opposite you need to be figuring out what are the best decisions i can be making because something like that getting a flat tire you have very little to no control over. Yeah. Those hands, I played them the exact same way I would play them right now. Right. The 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 what got me was the variance in the game, um, and that is part of the game. So yeah. It, it is a skill to be able to recognize that that this is something that I had no control over. I yeah. put my money in when I should have. Yes. I got it in good, and today wasn't my day. Yeah. Anytime you win. A multi-table tournament with 3,000 people, you were on the other end of that. You got it in bad and right. you won. There was just no way that you're not going to go and win your five flips. I mean, right. to win a tournament you that has 3,000, 4,000 entrants, you have to get lucky. Right. The same could be said for an NBA team who wins a championship. Like, they weren't the team that their power forward tore an Achilles in the playoffs. So they weren't, the, you know... They hit a crazy shot to move to advance. Like, yeah, it's the same. Like, there's so much variance in the game and in the game of life, too. And even if it was your fault, even if you knock out of one of the tournaments on a bad play, it's still best to say, okay, I made a mistake. I'm going to regain focus and not to compound that. Same thing could be true in, you know, let's say you did fire off some email to your boss um, that was stupid and, like, short-sighted, and you realize it that's it's best not to compound that with another insecure kind of you know defense email it's just okay you know own up to the mistake how can i be better next time what can i do now to get better so yeah yeah. that self analysis post is huge i think yeah and it's hard to because it's hard to catch it doing yeah it's very difficult to catch it doing yeah Um, in sports too I, i i remember times um same thing well it's just like you're missing shot after shot and you just don't want to shoot anymore yeah. yeah um, yeah. When in reality, that is just not right. The the winning strategy, no. and, and you know that, but it, it's hard to you get, get so over caught that. up in it emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the the emotions of it. I mean, that's I think what sets tilt off from just decision making is that you're now allowing emotions to dictate 
decision making. Yeah. Um, and I think that happens a lot in life, especially now. It seems that people have an emotional response before they have a logical one. And yeah. once that's happened, it is extremely difficult to go back and then have a logical response. Mm. Yeah. Um, once you've already had an answer due to emotions, to change that answer is going to be more difficult, even mm. if it was an illogical decision or right. illogical. Because you want to double down and save face it, at that exactly. point. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You, you now feel even more invested into it. Um, that's what emotions bring. Um, right. And in a game like poker and in sports, emotions more so in sports i think have their place yeah but for the most part should be left on the sideline yeah so let's talk about that this is a great segue into a question i wanted to ask actually is where do emotions where is the place for emotions in sports and poker and i could probably give my opinion on this on the like the basketball side but see if i can formulate this question in a way that makes sense so and this is just speculation too from watching poker, playing some poker, trying to understand what it would be like to play in high stakes poker that you play in, especially let's talk about live poker. It's not, not online. I think this is less to do with online, but if you're playing poker in person, is there some way in which a little bit of bravado, a little bit of attitude, a little bit of that does actually make a difference in the way, let's say a bluff is received or the way a um, yeah the way that you're operating at the table if you, so I guess the question I'm trying to ask is like maybe I'll, I'll take it at a different angle so on the basketball court it's good to understand that when I shoot a corner three-pointer uh, I average 1.2 points per shot which helps my team a lot um, that's something that I learned in a recent podcast way of framing it with coach Daniels um, and I knew some of this as a player, but he really framed it in a, in a beautiful way. And I also, it's good to know that when I drive the lane and shoot a floater over a big, I average 0.4 points per shot, which is dog shit, and I shouldn't ever do that. Um, however, if you're, you don't want to be the kind of player who's always running calculations and overthinking on the court, you want to become the kind of player where you're in that kind of flow state and you're intuitively making the kind of better decision for yourself and for your team right it's 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 not a good place to be on the basketball court to be constantly calculating because then your feet are slow you're overthinking the, when i'm playing my best basketball it's when i'm completely lost in the game it does, doesn't even feel like i'm there anymore i'm just kind of in it and it's whatever you know whether it's the you know woo -woo laws of the universe or whatever it seems like i find myself in better positions when my ego's out of it when i'm just lost in the game but that only comes from hours and hours of practice and lots of experience. You don't just show up. Like if I showed up to a tennis court today, I wouldn't find myself in a flow state kicking ass against some great player, right? Um, so I'm wondering is, if in poker, and I think Maria talked a little bit about this too on that podcast. I'll link to that podcast in the show notes. It's great. She talked about how you want to analyze yourself, but when you're in the game, sometimes it does take a quick, strong, decisive action in order to have an effective bluff and if you're too in your head it can be damaging um so can you pick up on any of that yeah um i i think that is true for poker as well that yeah. um the the correct strategy in poker it, it right now it is an unsolved game with a decent amount of it being 
relatively solved. So sorry to interrupt you, but just for people who know, solved versus unsolved. Like so, games like chess and Go are solved in that there is a mathematical best option to to a correct decision correct can be decision. made on your move each time, and you can even judge all other moves as being worse. But say one being the best, say that's like a point nine move. That's okay. a point eight move. Right. Um, and games like. Um, what's an example of a game that's even further unsolved like uh i mean like you know uno right you yeah. just, you're just drawing cards so yeah. yeah um even a game like uno though probably has it is there's so many limited the, oh, that's the decisions right. you can make are so limited that it is probably solved that's right what, okay. what sets poker apart is when you play no limit poker you can bet from anywhere from one blind to all your chips and each bet size is technically a different decision. Mm. So the game tree that it creates is oh, that's right. okay. is just so large. So even the, the most powerful neural networks aren't are... quite able. Once you have nine hands dealt, yeah. heads up, that game is solved. If you and I oh, were to just okay. play heads up, no limit, there is a computer out there that will beat every human. That is just, Interesting. It okay. is just, it, it's, and, and it's probably not solved, but it's solved to the point where no human will ever beat it. Okay. Um, so, but that correct strategy, that solved strategy includes a, a lot of decisions where it's 70% of the time with this hand, I should raise 30%. I should call. Yeah. And this is where I think Moya talks about that overthinking a lot. Yeah. Well, if you sit there and you, you think, okay, and you get it down to where, that point where you think, okay, 70% of the time I should do this 30% of the time I should bluff. It, it's going to look a lot more unnatural. Mm -hmm. I think the very best players have a gut instinct of, okay, this is probably a 70-40 and in this exact spot versus this opponent, how they're acting, how I've been looking, I'm going to use this as a bluff. So it gets to the point where that gut intuition is aligned with rational thinking more and more of the time. Yes, I believe so. I think think in hindsight, they would be able to explain that. But in that moment, a lot of times they're probably just thinking like, oh, I just have a gut feeling I should bluff here. Yeah. Like, I, I get those quote-unquote gut feelings all the time, and really, that's just my brain. I've seen millions of poker hands. Yeah. It, it's just my meat computer analyzing all those hands and thinking, okay, you've been in spots similar to this. Yeah. Like, this is probably what you should do. Yeah. Um, and, and that's probably true. Like, basketball, you know, you, like you said, you become too flat-footed if you, if you sit there and you think about that. You, you yeah. have to just react. Yeah. In, in poker, you have a little bit more time to yeah. think. Right, but, it, but, it is more yeah. directly related to mathematics in poker, yeah. But but it's not like you have infinite amount of time, and, and there are a lot of those gut instinct plays. Mm. A lot of times when you do what's called like a hero call or, or a big bluff, sometimes you don't know why you feel like, oh, I think my ace high is good here. Yeah. Um, and, and you'll get that feeling, and it's probably based off all the hands you've played, all that yeah. analysis that's just kind of happening subconsciously okay yeah that makes sense um and this probably leads into one of the questions i want this might be able to directly help my poker game if you might if you're willing to give me a lesson here so i i seem to play much better and i I thought about this question earlier it might just be because when i sit down to poker games i'm generally one of the two or three best players so i'm very likely to end up towards the top but usually there's a player there that's better than me so I find myself playing better, more comfortably, more confidently when 
I'm playing against eight, ten, six, somewhat more people at the table. I think my brain's more calibrated to how good my hand is when I'm playing at a big table. And I understand that when the game shrinks, a pair of kings is much better than when the game when there's ten people at the table. I have a very difficult time playing aggressive enough towards the end of games because I'm, I'm my temperament's a little bit more reserved. I'm very thoughtful. I feel like I can always outlast the table. I'll just make better decisions, even if I lose a little bit on this pot. But as the game ramps up and the blinds are up and the pressure's on and every hand's intense, I find myself being too reserved and I end up getting bled out. I put myself in a bad position to where I'm relying on those coin flip all-ins to win the game. Too much, I think. Is there anything you could say to me that might help my game and how to... Is it, is it as simple as just telling yourself? Because I I, I'm not advanced enough to actually be getting, okay, I have a 38% probability of winning this hand if I do this, right? So it's a lot of it's just feel and intuition for me. So what would you suggest? Um, and that, that's true for, I think, even the best players. Like most of the time, no one's able to say, like, oh, I'll have 38% here. Or, like, you're, you're comparing right. your range of all of your possible hands you could have in that moment versus all of their possible hands that they could have in that moment right um so right there is no you because you don't know their cards you yeah. don't know the exact percentage and, yeah, and, right. and um as fuel why i enjoy um multi-table tournaments versus like a cash game in in poker Ca- cash being you can get up and leave whenever you want mm-hmm. and you can buy in even when you bust and a tournament being you start with the same amount of chips as everyone else and you don't stop until you've lost all your chips or you've won all of the chips. Yeah. So I prefer tournaments because there's kind of a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Um, and like you're describing, in, in the beginning when you're playing nine-handed, eight-handed, it's often better to be a little more passive. Yeah. Um, but once you get down to six-handed, five-handed, that's usually the final table and that's usually where the money's made in these tournaments. Yeah. Um, and that's usually where being aggressive is better. Yeah. Um, fighting for pots and getting into positions where I can lose the flip and still be in the tournament. Yeah. And, and to get in that position, you have to win a lot of smaller mm. pots before that. Mm. Um, so I, I tend to believe that most people are under-aggressive in those late stage spots. Yeah. That being said, if there's a lot of ICM pressure, it's hard to be aggressive. If you if you're third of six and there's a huge pay jump and somebody has two big blinds, it is catastrophic mathematically to get knocked out before that guy. Right. I mean, you should if he has yeah. two big blinds, you're folding almost 98% of hands. Interesting. Um, yeah. And, and and I like that because it is very it makes the game very dynamic. Yeah. versus a cash game where you're always 500 big blinds deep and the value of a chip is always the value of a chip. Mm. Um, and, and some people prefer that, but I, I like MTTs for that reason. I like the dynamic change. Every hand you see is going to be different because there's just so many different things that are influencing it between ICM, between how many people are at the table, how big a stack yours is compared to the guy to your left. Yeah. Um, all of that starts to play a role in your decision. Yeah. And, and at first, that can be very hard to think about. Yeah. Um, especially if you don't play a ton. It's hard to say, okay, I need to look at everyone's chip stack. I need to then 
see has this guy been raising a ton if he's been raising a ton does it seem like it's 40 percent of hands what is 40 percent of hands um yeah. and that's where there is some memorization and some prior knowledge yeah um needed right but each hand is very specific to where you're never going to be in the same situation twice really right how, how much when you're sitting down at a, at a live table in person how much of your mental energy, if you were to estimate, is spent observing other players' behavior? Um, when I play live, I think I tend to be a lot more observer than observant. Obs- <laughs> observant. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Jesus. Um, than the average player in that I'm there to make money. Yeah. Um, a lot of players go for entertainment and for the beers, social the, the micro brews yeah the, the social steam. aspect they yeah. <laughs> played together um a group maybe they all meet at the casino every thursday for the last 20 years yeah um, that's uh that's that's raw meat for a shark like you <laughs> <laughs> but uh so i go in there and i i, I definitely want to s- sit down see what people are doing um I, I don't think i look at live leads as much anymore um i i, I do think I tend to try to base everything off math, but I, I, I like to know if Grandpa over there has even opened his eyes in the last 10 hands. <laughs> I mean, is he even looking at his hand before he folds because yeah. I haven't seen him play a single hand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so knowing that fact will definitely influence your play. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, back to the HUD, it, it shows me stats of other people as well. Okay. So it, it'll say this person is opening 30% of hands. This person's three betting me pre-flop 10% of hands. And you're getting that, that information piped back to you as you're playing? Yes. Okay. So the, 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 it's a legal software that any, anyone can be running. Um, and if you're an online player not using it, you're probably not a winning player. You're like you're a shortstop without a glove? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, the game has evolved to where you need one. Yeah, and and not necessarily for live decisions, but just post analysis and, and some live decisions. I have sample sizes with people of thousands of hands, and mm. once I have that kind of sample size, I can start making exploitative decisions. <laughs> well, it's yeah. I see that you are playing way too tight. Yeah, and, and I know that if you three bet me, you have aces or kings. Right, and it's just like I know just to fold my queens here. Yeah, anyone else I'm calling, but I see that you three bet two percent of the time. Right. Um, and that's where so I see that, and I think to myself, that person's not using a HUD. Right. Because if they were, that they could see that their stats are not where they should be. And so do you try, because obviously, so you're using a HUD, other good players are using a HUD that you're playing against, especially probably towards the ends of tournaments, once all of the college bros <laughs> who think they're good at poker get weeded out, <laughs> like me. Um do you try to introduce randomness into your own game so that it throws off their HUDs? <laughs> um, not really, no. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I have what I consider my like pre-flop range of hands for each position. You know, from under the gun, yeah. be, being first to act versus the button being last to act. You can be a lot wider. You can open more hands. You can three bet more often. Yeah. Um, I have those ranges in my mind down pretty well. That. I, I, I don't see like an eight three and think ooh I'm you know like next hand I'm gonna bluff here or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but but I do use the HUD to make 
exploitative decisions okay. to where sometimes this should always be a fold, but I do see that this person's stats are just w- way off. Yeah. Um, and, and that doesn't happen too often. Yeah. Um, and live, it's very hard to have a situation like that. Um, you, you do use a lot of stereotyping. Um, yeah. Which, which is good and bad, but it's impossible not to. Right. I mean... Yes, I, probably some of the information that you get from the stereotypes is actually good. Oh, I'm, yeah. yeah. So it's not, stereotypes it's not, exist for a reason. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're not 100% accurate in any means, but yeah. they usually have been created for one reason or another yeah. with some truth to them. And then is there a hand that you think is overrated? Uh, what what kind of things? Is there like a, within like advanced poker players, are there things that novices overvalue? I've, I've, I've always thought that like chasing flushes was kind of a uh, mistake in my own game where I'll think I've got, oh, I got, you know, there's two cards left after the flop. Um, I'm just going to keep betting a lot because I'm going to hit another diamond when really it's a small chance, smaller chance than you'd think because there's already diamonds in your pocket and on the table. And yeah, is that, is that a reasonable um, thing to pay attention to? Anything else like that that you, that you notice? Um, I think a lot of amateur players will overvalue top pair in big spots. Mm. Big, uh, if somebody's bet three streets and you have top pair, okay kicker, you're probably not good. Yeah. Um, a lot of hands, people aren't betting three streets, betting the flop, betting the turn, betting the river, unless they have something better than top pair. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of amateurs will overvalue their top pair and call down too often. Mm. Um, I, th- I mean, there's also obviously times, too, that it's correct to call down. Um, yeah. But it is very situational. But I think in general, that's probably one leak that a lot of people have. Um, they overvalue top pair. Um, I-, I think a lot of people, when they, w- when you look to find a good bluff, you usually want to look for hands that aren't drawing dead, which means like there isn't a single code that you could hit that would help you win. Mm. So like if I'm bluffing on the turn, I don't want to have zero equity. Like that's yeah. probably not a good bluff candidate. A good bluff candidate probably has codes that are blocking your opponent from having the nuts or the best hand mm. and something that leaves you with some kind of equity. Oftentimes that could just be like a gut shot straight, which it's like, oh, that seems like a bad hand and I wouldn't call with this, but I can turn this into, put this into my bluffing range. So gut shot straight means you're not, that's the inverse of open-ended, right? So you you need a specific card to hit your straight. And what do you mean by blocking them from the nuts? The nuts being the The best best hand. The best possible hand, yeah. Um, So say the bird had like queen, 10, jack, three up there. Yeah. And this guy is betting really hard and I have something like aces. Mm. I'm blocking the nuts of ace king. So the best possible hand being would be ace king, which okay. would give you the straight jack or 10 jack queen ace king. Okay. King ace. Um having two aces, he is way less likely to have ace king. Right. Um so in spots like that, I I see a lot of people maybe just calling down with aces Mm. when in reality they might want to turn that hand into a bluff sometimes yeah um if if somebody's betting into you hard enough they're representing a hand better than aces but you have what's blocking the best hand 
So, yeah. so being able to recognize um, in spots where your hand went from obviously pre-flop, you're betting for value. Yeah. Now, post-flop, it's hard to then say, I need to turn this hand into a bluff. Mm. Recognize that I'm probably beat, but this hand is actually still a good bluff candidate. Amateurs yeah. will often just fall into the, oh, this is a good enough hand, I'll just call down with it at this point. Mm. Like, I'll just turn this into a hand that I just call down straight with. Mm. Um, and that, I think, can be a mistake. Okay. Um, yeah. That's very situational, of course. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. Identifying bluffs versus value hands, I think, can be okay. difficult at times for people. Yeah, yeah. It's also something that I just came to mind that I think I struggle with is it's it's harder to recognize missed opportunities and have the same emotional reaction to them as it is to recognize losses. And mm. I think that's something that's plagued my game over the years. I think it's a reflection of my personality as being a little bit more analytical and reserved and less and, and, and risk averse, honestly, where I will probably not maximize a pot when I have a good hand. Mm. Um, I won't take advantage of good hands or I'll miss out on opportunities to make chips. But somehow that doesn't feel as bad to me as losing. Um, but I know that over the course of a game, I often find myself in a hole to some of the better players oh, can, at the table. Yeah, that can be just as big of a, of a leak. Yeah. Not getting value on hands that are valuable can be just as detrimental to your game as losing less chips with bad hands. Yeah. So is there a way to, for me to combat something like that? What, I mean, you use, what's it called again? Mod? A, a HUD. HUD. He heads up display. Obviously, that's uh, only and, online. Right? Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I think the game of poker really has changed a lot in the last 10 or 15 years because of these HUDs. Mm. Um, the in, your, in that specific case, without a HUD, it would be very difficult for you to find those spots and analyze them. Yeah. Um, it would be hard for you to do a lot of post-analysis. But with a HUD, I can literally bring up... It, it saves all the hands I play, so after the session I can say... Uh, of the hands that I three bet in and have at least a pair or better, show me all of those hands. Mm. And then I can click through and see exactly how I played those hands mm. and, and find spots where it's like, oh, maybe I should be doing this a little more often, raising here a little more often. Maybe my sizing is not quite right. Maybe yeah. I'm betting too small, but I can actually bet bigger because my opponent's range of hands is strong enough to call a bigger bet. Mm. Um, and without that post analysis, it, it is very hard to find those spots. Yeah. Um, I think that's true in a lot of games um, yeah. and a lot of sports even that if you don't do film or you don't right. do self analysis of your own game, it's, it is harder to improve. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of my, the best coaches I had talked about how, you you really do tend to get better at what you measure and so he took this is coach brady bergerson he took great pains to measure the kinds of things that he really cared about we displayed them in the locker room and we talked about what happened and you know we at halftime we'd we'd see how you know what what's our field goal percentage compared to the other team what are our rebounds compared to their team what are our turnovers compared to the other team because those are very you know those are three metrics that really make a huge difference um 
And so, yeah, I could see how that could direct, relate directly to poker too. And honestly, for me too, in my own, just trying to optimize my, my, my own habits, which are so important in living a good life is just the, the, your habit building. When I, I don't do this anymore, but for a year, for an entire calendar year, I put a big X through the calendar if I meditated for an hour. And somehow psychologically that was really, really worked because once I got a streak of six or eight, I just did not want to see a gap. And so I think, you know, it'd be four o'clock and I'd be tired and then I'd be like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to have a gap in my calendar. I just got to sit down. Um, And so I've been thinking about other things like that. Like now it's, uh, the next thing I'm trying to implement is putting an X through the calendar. If I don't do any fucking bullshit throughout the day, like watching YouTube when I'm trying to work, like I just have to stop doing that. But for some reason I end up doing it every day. So little hacks like that where you can measure and you know relates to poker or sports or anything else is like unless you're measuring it it's hard to really improve because it's all so like ambiguous you yes. don't really know what's going on and, right? and with with variance in poker it can make it even harder you just don't know what kind of yeah, yeah you, you like, could be you're winning. not collecting data in your head well enough right yeah, yeah. And, and especially especially if you're winning if it, when people are winning, they assume they're winning because they were doing things correctly. Right. Um, and right. that that can be very confusing. Yeah. Long term. Um, and yeah. you develop a lot of bad habits because of that. Right. Right. Finish on a personal note here. You are obviously very smart, and you have. I know that you studied science in college, and you've you've thought about the traditional path of maybe going into some kind of medical school we, you and I've talked about this but you've created this kind of alternate path that's really interesting where you travel a lot and you're into cryptocurrency and poker how are you balancing that more like adventurous entrepreneurial path with considering going back to school and doing something more traditional where are you what's your thought process at right now with that um I was very lucky with with poker um to, to make enough money that I have traveled quite a bit these last few years yeah. um, and I've enjoyed that a lot um, but I, I do think I'm heading in the direction of wanting a more sustainable yeah. <laughs> income uh, the, the variance of poker can be really hard um, yeah. I, I've had months where I've lost um, mm. and that can be very difficult mentally um can be very depressing there's been times where you feel i feel like i've worked a 40-hour week and i've paid two thousand dollars to do it <laughs> that's a, framing um, it that way i hadn't thought of that, about that yeah it, it, it can be very um very tough this last quarantine for me um there was a big online poker boom so i was playing it a lot the last five months um and it went very well the first two months very well um but the last two months were just a slow downward trajectory of results um i was playing pretty well my hud showed that for every 100 big blinds i'm betting i'm winning 10 but i wasn't cashing tournaments i was losing these flips late on at late in tournaments and not cashing and it was two months of losing money um and it there were definitely days that I was pretty depressed. I didn't want to play. I didn't want to do anything. Um, But oftentimes I'd find myself sitting in front of the computer (laughs) grinding it out. Um, And 
I, I don't like that, uh, having that feeling. I think I, I would hear this a lot in, from athletes that, like, it feels more like a job when you're getting paid for it. Mm. And poker before um, the last three years to me was always just more for fun. It was yeah. never like I needed to do this to make money. Yeah. Um, and there has been times in the last three years that it has been more like, oh, I need to make money yeah. this stretch of time. Um, and that takes away a little bit of the joy of the game, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can feel more like Spock trying to optimize than yeah. maybe, maybe the guys that blowing off steam after work had it right all, all, all well, maybe yeah maybe but maybe they did uh <laughs> I, I enjoy seeing improvements in my game and that's what drew me to poker for sure yeah um is that i i like getting better at something and seeing my game change and changing strategies and stuff like that um but when it comes to a job i think i will probably pursue something else i don't know if i have it in me to go back to college <laughs> or school yeah um but i definitely want to keep that open yeah. as an option um, yeah well cool yeah and i want to get you back on the podcast to talk about bitcoin sometime because you've been my my like bitcoin coach and i'm it's, it's fascinating it's a little bit off topic from my little niche on the podcast <laughs> but i don't care we'll have to talk about it sometime no, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love to i i mean i initially got into bitcoin because of poker because of bank issues and mm. um i was having trouble depositing and withdrawing money from these sites and i was thinking how ridiculous it was that like these banks are telling me i can't take out my money or put <laughs> in my money over here and it was yeah. becoming really frustrating to me and then one of the sites i was using said oh you can deposit and withdraw using bitcoin and of course i had no clue what it was and thought didn't think much of it um, until I had a pretty big score and I had some money to withdraw and I, my bank was being annoying and I, I looked into it a little more and did some research and from that moment on I was pretty pro. Once I actually took the time, I was pretty pro Bitcoin once I learned about it. Um, yeah, well this is some, you can take this as legal financial <laughs> advice to all my listeners. I, I, I encourage everyone to put at least 75% of their wealth <laughs> into Bitcoin. <laughs> So, and you'll you will be sorry if you don't. So. <laughs> great talking to you, Forrest. It was really great uh, to get you on the podcast. Love to do it again sometime. Yeah, this has been fun, Bill. Thank you. Yeah. If you like the podcast, please consider subscribing to my newsletter, which you can find at billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. This is the best way to stay in contact with my work, as I'll be sending out new podcast announcements along with other written content. You can also support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts subscribing on Spotify, or sending the podcast to someone who you think might like it. Thank you for listening and for your support. It's a sauce.